This podcast is part of the Acast Creator Network. One size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. Learn more at uh1.com. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Hello and welcome to The Stand with Eamon Dunphy. Now, many of you will have seen a very fascinating three-part series on RTE in the past couple of weeks. It's called, it was called Quinn. It's about Sean Quinn, the rise and fall of a man who is a legend in Fermanagh, his, his home county, who became the richest person in Ireland and one of the richest people in the world. And then he lost well, he lost it all in theory, but uh, we'll get to where he is at the moment. The documentary was made by Trevor Burney. Trevor is an Emmy-nominated film producer, director, and a journalist, and his story of Quinn is really uh, quite remarkable, and he joins us now. There's a book also, and in my experience, and maybe many of you will share it, books are always better than the documentary. The documentary was rightly acclaimed. It was a three-parter. It was a remarkable piece of work. Trevor, thank you very much for agreeing to do this with us. It's it's stunning, both the the book and indeed the three-parter on RTE in in the last uh, few weeks. How did you get Sean Quinn to cooperate and give you that exclusive interview long and totally fascinating. Well, thanks very much for having me, Eamon. Uh, it's great to be on the on the podcast. Um, I mean, I think I probably have to take you right back into to the autumn of 2018. Um, uh, and I had a, I had a um, a kind of difficult experience at at that time um, when I actually was arrested after um, producing a documentary called No Stone Unturned, which dealt yes. with the uh, RUC collusion and the murder of six Catholic men at Lockan Island on the night of the Ireland Italy match back in the World Cup in 1994, and uh, we had um, um, produced some documents in that film that the. F- the, the police and the authorities believed had breached the Official Secrets Act in the UK and they actually arrested me and my colleague Barry McCaffrey on the 31st of August 2018 and after that and coming out of that I met a colleague that I'd worked with uh, in Fermanagh, Rodney Edwards um, you know he works for the Sunday Independent and uh, Rodney had been talking off and on to Sean Quinn and he said oh you know do you want to come down and meet him and uh, I said, yeah, yeah, set it up. I'd, I'd, I'd be really interested and fascinated in, in meeting the man. So um, in about this September, October 2018, I went down to uh, down to the border and uh, Sean Quinn and his wife, Patricia, invited me into their home. And I spent a few hours there 
just really shooting the breeze, getting to know where he was at that time and trying yes. to understand exactly what he hoped to achieve. At that point, you'll remember, even the family were very much locked in a legal case with IBRC. So the five kids were, were really... Uh, the whole family, indeed, you know, not just the five kids, but they were hoping that they were going to see some sort of tangible um, outcome out of that case where they were they were suing the bank for what they described as the illegal loans given by Anglo-Irish Bank uh, at the time of uh, the economic crash in 2008. And, and, and Sean and the family quite clearly were hoping that something might come out of uh, behind the scenes discussions that were going on within the, with the bank. And, uh, but at the same time, he was looking, uh, to tell his story. He felt that his story had, had not been told. He felt that, um, it actually had been mistold, um, uh, particularly by the Dublin media. You know, it's all about the media in Dublin. It's all yep. about, uh, how, how they had handled him, how they had, um, treated him. And, uh, he was, he was, Wrestling with that at that time, even about what to do. And I didn't really know, you know, what I could do with the Sean Quinn story at that point. But what we did agree is that let me sit down and do one interview. Let's see how it goes. And then I'll take it from there. So from November 2018, I did a long interview at his home, which featured in the RTE series. And after yes. that, um, it wasn't long. I was in RTE and I was talking to one of the uh, chief commissioners there, and I mentioned that I'd, I'd interviewed Sean Quinn, and they were immediately interested. And from there, we went back and spoke to Sean. And he was a little nervous uh, at that time about the committing to the series. He'd given the interview. He was committed to the series. He was committed to the project. But obviously, he didn't really know um, exactly um, uh how it was all going to turn out. But he, yes. he desperately wanted to tell his story in the court of public opinion. That was clear. He felt that, you know, he wasn't going to get anything. Him personally wasn't going to get anything out of the, the four courts, out of the courts in Dublin or in Belfast. It was really the court of public opinion he wanted to address. And yes. He felt that by doing a documentary, uh, that was the best way to do that. Yes. Now, in the book that you've written, and I urge people, if they really want a good read over Christmas, to buy it, there was something about him that was not, if I recall correctly, in the documentary, which is, on the day of the 11 plus, which was a British thing, and they were under British rule at that stage, you had to take the 11 plus to progress along the educational road, and when the bus came to pick up all the kids that day, he ducked into a field and didn't go and made a, a very, very big decision. He went home and told his uh, mother and father. His mother was a bit upset. His father said, no, he's Grant. I, he can work with me here. So he was a single-minded and unconventional person, it seems, from the get-go. And it's also worth pointing out, as you do in the documentary and in the book, what a barren place Fermanagh was, never mind the gerrymandering and all of that brutal oppression, but also in terms of the, the land and, you know, the prospects or the potential. Yeah. And, and he had a vision where there was so much unemployment, there was so much depression and dereliction, yet he had a vision. And that vision was quite remarkable. It was indeed. I mean, I think that when, when, John Hume talked about the 1958 
Education Act changing uh, the prospects for Catholics in Northern Ireland dramatically because for the first time they were guaranteed a route to grammar school and to a proper education if they chose. And uh, at that stage, we had a huge influx of a new generation of Catholics who were able to embrace um, uh, academic education and all the opportunities that came with that. Now, Sean Quinn was living in, a, in, in an economic wasteland. You know, there was yes. no industry on the Fermanagh-Cavan border. It was about farming. It was hard farming. It wasn't. Um, it, it really was enough to keep families going, and that was just about it. Um, they really survived on the border. They worked the border. They lived with the border. They, the family, you know, everyone involved in the border and the Quinn family, the same, got used to smuggling whatever it was back and forward across the yep. border, whether it be butter or cigarettes or whatever it was. That was the existence at that time in the late 50s and early 60s down there. And uh, Sean Quinn... Absolutely. His parents were very smart and his mother was a bookkeeper who knew a thing or two about how to, uh, to handle money, how to handle uh, the farm while his father was the worker. And, uh, you know, he had bought a family farm for £2,000 and uh, 26 acres of land right up on the border there between Fermanagh and Cavan. Uh, he tried to buy another farm, actually, and, 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 and his Protestant neighbours had basically grouped together to ensure he, Sean Quinn's yes. father, a Catholic, wouldn't get that land. You know, So Sean Quinn was born into that existence, and on the day that he was due to go and sit the 11 plus, which really is a test to decide whether or not You've got the economic, uh, the the educational wherewithal, the ability to go off to academic school. Sean Quinn's mother had bought him a brand new blue suit to take this exam. He had yes. set off from the home. We had walked down to where the bus would pick them up outside the primary school, and when the bus came, he jumped into the hedge, didn't get on the bus, and instead walked home. And that that walk home at eleven years of age, Eamon, must have been a uh, quite an experience for that young. Yes. Boy, because when he got home, the mother realized he hadn't got on the bus and uh, was not very happy, as you said, was very upset at the fact that Sean was effectively turning his back on opportunity. He wasn't going to go down that academic route. His father said, well, sure, listen, he'll stay at home and he'll milk the cows with me. And really that was, Sean Quinn remembers his father saying that. And the way that he talks in the documentary is that I was the dunce. I was the yeah. dunce. I was going to stay at home and milk the cows. And I think yeah. that's what he thought that everyone thought of him. That's what Sean Quinn's life, like many, many others, like many yes. of others of his counterparts on the border, that's what their life was going to be, on the border, milking cows. Of course, there was emigration. Of course, people were, were moving to Dublin or to Belfast or even to America or to England. They were getting out of there. But Sean Quinn was going to stay at home because it is it, two sisters and his brother, Peter, who obviously went on to become the GAA president, they were all... They all took the academic route. They all went off to Dublin or to Queen's University in, in Belfast or teaching college to, to follow their academic careers. Sean stayed at home. And I think that acted as a motivator. I think it's a good story to, 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 to land on about Sean Quinn because I think yes. that was a motivator later. But also Sean Quinn in that very first meeting said to me, you know what, maybe if I had gone down the university route, I wouldn't land it in the bother I did. Yeah, I, I mean, the 11 plus allows you, if you pass it, to possibly go to grammar school, 
Now, people, young people today won't quite get it, but grammar school was the big, that was the big dividing line. There was something similar down here, actually, if you passed exams and you could go to a tech, which was the lesser, or go to one of the, um, you know, go on to do your intern, your leaving cert, and therefore be uh, educated, quote unquote. The, he built something quite extraordinary there, Trevor, and he kept expanding. He clearly is a formidable person with a formidable vision. For example, he built, when he was in his pomp, the Schlieve Russell Hotel. And as you make very clear in the documentary, which I saw on RTE and in the book as well, the idea of having a luxury five-star hotel was not one that many people could have envisaged. <laughs> Absolutely right. I mean, you, you even take a step back and 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 uh, a few years uh, before Sean Quinn, uh, his father died just exactly at this time of year in December 1967. He won the Fermanagh Championship with Timor Shamrocks in 1969. Another yes. seminal moment in his life as well, Eamon, because at that moment, Sean Quinn became a champion. Timor Shamrocks had not uh, won the county championship for over 35 years. Yes. Uh, and for Sean Quinn to lead that team, he realized that he'd come back to Timor, which is his local townland, uh, you know, nestled between the villages of Lynn in the north and Ballyconnell in the south. Sean Quinn came home a champion. He came home as someone who had uh, given great pride to the parish and that gave him great confidence. He wasn't academic, but he had confidence and ability on the football pitch. And the football pitch taught him an awful lot about life. And he saw, and he still sees life in a way through the eyes of that young person at 22 years of age, winning the Ulster yeah. Championship with his brother Peter by his side. And then from 69 to 73, when he set up and established a company, he decided not to farm the land, but to dig down into it. And uh, he began then with a tractor and trailer and then ended up buying a lorry. 1973, you go through to the early 90s. By that stage, Sean Quinn had built a £25 million uh, pound, uh, uh, cement factory. He'd opened a roof tile factory. He was employing hundreds of people. He was, the, the, the cement factory had taken on CRH, uh, which had a, a virtual monopoly on cement production on the island of Ireland. He had taken them on and beaten them and, and, and got that factory up without a, without any financial support from uh, the industrial development boards in Dublin or Belfast. He raised the money, he put in his own money, had done that. And then after all of that, he decides, you know, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to build a hotel. I'm going to build yeah. a 70-room hotel, complete with a pool, with a gymnasium. I'm going to build a championship golf course out the back of it. And this is in the back of beyond. Like it yes. used to be called the Bejesus Hotel, Eamon, because people would come <laughs> round this corner and go, Bejesus, what is that? You know, and as this hotel yeah. emerged out of nowhere, what Sean Quinn was doing was giving huge pride to that area. People, you know, like a sister, Bernie, who was a school teacher, she talks about having to drive for 45 minutes into Enniskillen to go for a swim. Now she had a swimming pool, you know, just by jumping over the back fence and into the sleeve rustle. Would have changed the whole perspective of those people on the, in that part of the world. They weren't having to travel to Dublin or Belfast for entertainment. Daniel O'Donnell was coming to them on a Friday night and playing in the Sleeve Russell Hotel. The yes. bar, everything was the best quality. Everything was of the finest. 
uh, standards. And, and Sean Quinn was not only given employment and wealth and helping people have careers, he was now giving them an entertainment complex, essentially, and a, and, a, and, a, and, a, and, a, and a gymnasium and a swimming pool along with it. So you can just imagine from an economic wasteland of 20 years before, this man was single-handedly creating opportunities, life, uh, opportunities for life, wealth, and uh, careers in a way that no, none of the governments or none of the local councils or anybody else was doing. So you can imagine why he became the chieftain, the leader, the oh, yes. champion that that he did. And of course, the city of Russell became the destination for couples' weddings and all Absolutely. of that. And in fact, in the docu. Um, entry that ran for three nights on RTE. There is a moment, and I think it is in the Schlieve Russell, where Kevin Lunny is presented with a, an award for services to Quinn and the company. And he was one of the people closest to Quinn. And uh, it's a young, a younger Sean Quinn and a younger Kevin Lunny. Now, the name of Kevin Lunny may resonate with many listeners, but just to be clear, he is the man who was so badly beaten, almost to death, when the trouble came. He emerged with a few others who had been close to Sean Quinn. This was after Sean Quinn had lost his business. Yeah. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, how get 30, how get 20, 20, 20, get 20, 20, get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. One size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. Learn more at uh1.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number smart beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number limited edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Can I just ask you about your own view, Trevor? Where did it, <laughs> where did it all go wrong? Was it hubris? Was it greed? Or was it just that he fell for the Anglo-Irish share, mm -hmm. as many people did? Um, uh, and decided 
he'd actually owned the bank because when he met Sean Fitzpatrick, uh, they had a meeting and mm-hmm. he, he revealed that he owned 25% of the shares. Was he trying to take the bank over, do you think? Well, I mean, that's a question that many people have tried to answer. And some of the people close to Sean Quinn, you know, do believe that he actually had an idea and uh, had an ambition to uh, uh, own a bank, maybe not Anglo-Irish, but certainly to set up a bank. And he he, 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 he had toyed with the idea um, in the early noughties of doing that. But, I mean... Because he set up an insurance company, Quinn yeah, Insurance. Well, exactly. Well, and, and that brings yeah. Kevin Lunny in. Kevin Lunny was one of those economic migrants, those academic migrants who had left the border counties to go off to study and then ended up working for Anderson Consulting and then ended up working in Seattle for a while. And then, um, actually, you know, his father wasn't very well. His brother had been working for Sean Quinn and the brother said, here, listen, you should meet Sean Quinn when you're home some weekend. And, Tony, and Kevin Lunny come back up the border to see his family met Sean Quinn on a Saturday morning by Saturday lunchtime Kevin Lunny had been offered a job in 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 Sean Quinn's uh, factory which or his, his, his business which had booster rockets on that stage and the, Sean Quinn was desperately looking for young uh, career minded talented uh, um, executives like Kevin Lunny. And Kevin Lunny was the person who helped him set up the insurance company in 1995. And it was a very sort of soft launch, Eamon. You know, this wasn't done yes. with huge fanfare. But over the, the latter part of the 90s, Sean Quinn built an insurance business that on the border where I grew up uh, as well in Enniskillen and lived, if you were a 17-year-old looking for insurance in your car, Quinn Insurance was the one company that guaranteed to give you insurance. And that was yes. that was huge because that allowed a lot of young people to get out on the roads and get independence and be able to drive. And, um, and, you know, when a time when other insurance companies weren't taking the risk. So, again, Sean Quinn went into a very risky end of the insurance business. But in many ways, the answer to your question is getting into insurance was the downfall of Sean Quinn because it was a regulated business. It wasn't like cement. It wasn't like hotels. It wasn't like roof tiles or manufacturing. It was a regulated business and he had to deal with the regulator in Dublin. And in, and, and, and when he fell for the, the Anglo-Irish shares, that wasn't the first time it came to the attention of the regular. Back in the uh, late 90s, early noughties, he'd built up a huge share portfolio in the dot-com shares that were all the yeah. boom in, at that time. And actually, he, he, he lost 25 million euro of the insurance company's reserves by betting on, 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 on dot-com shares. And at that time, Sean, he had seen them rise and then they began to fall. And that critically, Sean Quinn believed that they were uh, great value when they began to fall. So start went in really heavy on them when they went in fall. Yeah. The same behavior that he would, would, would exert yes. exactly with Anglo Irish shares later on in 2008. So he had, he had already experience of, of, of stocks and shares and, and actually taking huge hit. But instead of learning his lesson from that, he really then began as the insurance company grew that was making 10, 12 million euros a week. Uh, you know, yes. That insurance business was throwing off profits of incredible proportions. And Sean Quinn was the guy that was deciding where they were going to spend the reserves. That's what all insurance companies do. They invest what you and I do whenever we insure the house or we insure the car yes. or whatever else. They invest that money. And Sean Quinn was investing that money. And he began by buying shares at Ryanair and other blue chip companies, but eventually he got rid of all those shares and banked everything 
on a on a on a financial instrument called Contracts for Difference and built yes. up over twenty five percent share in Anglo Irish Bank. And the reason he did that, John, or Eamon, for for one reason at least, there are many reasons, and you've set out some of them. But one of them is he saw Anglo as a mirror of himself, a young bank that uh, took on the big boys, took on the institutional banks and were winning, were the best little bank in the world as they were described at one stage. So Sean Quinn said, yeah, they're doing in banking what I've done. So you yes. know, I'm going to bank, bank on them. And of course, it all went wrong. And after it all went wrong, he effectively lost control of his company. Mm -hmm. And this again brings us to, as you describe it in your book, things became very dark. Mm -hmm. And Kevin Lunny was uh, coming home from work one night. His car was stopped. He was beaten to it in. He was beaten to a pulp. Mm -hmm. One of Quinn's initials, I'm not sure if the S or the Q, was put on his chest. Mm -hmm. He he was left to die on the road, and fortunately. Somebody found oh. him uh, and got him back to his family. Now, at that stage, Lunny and some other people, uh, just a small group of people who had been close to Quinn and worked for him, yeah. had been now given control of his business. And this is at the heart of the tragedy of the story and the, and the badness, really. Um, I just put it in context. I think from your book, in fact, the, your book called Quinn, the local parish priest, a man called Oliver O'Reilly, he gave a sermon one Sunday in which he said that there is mafia-like behavior in this community and it's being run by a godfather. This was after Ken, Ke, Kevin Lunny. And of course, there were all kinds of things. Places were burnt down, threats were issued, uh, all kinds of stuff. And nobody could identify who this mafia godfather was. Mm -hmm. But as you read more, not just of your book, but seeing your documentary, uh, knowing the Quinn story, you can circumstantially, shall we say, come to the same conclusion as Father Oliver O'Reilly, that there was a godfather it's not hard to imagine who that person is. And it all goes very dark then. Yeah, well, it all began to go dark, obviously, in the, in the financial crash of 2008. Yes. Through the timeline, 2011, Sean Quinn loses his businesses. You know, the, the Alan Dukes, who was the chairman of the IBRC, sent a security team from Dublin of over... 100 strong, up to Dublin, up to the border, seized the Quinn Group uh, headquarters, and uh, that that was the beginning of the end for Sean Quinn. Obviously, then uh, it was discovered that he had a huge property portfolio out uh, right across Europe from Kiev, right across to Moscow and down to Hyderabad in India. And uh, uh, Alan Jukes and, and the team uh, then had to chase around the world to try to untangle the complex uh, 
uh, business structure that Sean Quinn and his team had built up, and uh, and his children were 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 intimately linked absolutely. to this, weren't yeah. they? Well, they owned, and they were basically Sean Quinn had taken the decision in the early noughties to start to divest himself of a lot of the businesses and a lot of the business. You know, his own daughter uh, owned the sleeve. Russell, you know, uh, uh, the five kids, the four daughters, and the son. Everything was really in their names. And um, uh, so whenever he, he began to invest in the CFDs, it was in the names of the children. And uh, and, I, and then, so in 2011, it all went wrong. That's when the violence started on the border. You know, it, it started with a dumper truck being driven into one of the buildings, but escalated to, you know, power lines being cut down, to electrical substations being burnt, to, you know, vicious... Uh, um, uh, personal attacks on the receiver, uh, Paul O'Brien, who was sent in there, his name on the yes. side of the bus being burnt out, you know, his home outside Dublin being attacked, his cars destroyed, the house almost burnt down, you know, that it, 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 and, and all of it was to do, Eamon, is that there were people on the border who were determined that those, you know, those businesses on the border, which at that stage were valued of in around a billion euros, that they wouldn't be broken up and sold off to anyone else. But the people on the border were determined there was going to be a second coming, that Sean Quinn was going to come yes. back to the business and was going to save that business and save those jobs. And that was a fear those people on the border had that uh, if the businesses were broken up and sold off, those jobs would go, yes. you know, and, 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 and so it wasn't just a threat an existential threat to Sean Quinn and his family, it was to the whole region. So you can see why some people then reacted to try to protect those businesses. But in 2014, there was a second coming. Again, December 2014, Sean Quinn walked back into those companies alongside Kevin Lunny, Liam McCaffrey, Dara O'Reilly, and a number of other uh, former executives and business colleagues that backed him, got him back. He didn't own the business. He was a consultant at that stage. And uh, um, because he'd been made bankrupt, he couldn't be involved in the deal. So American bondholders that had basically seized control of those businesses, they'd, they'd allowed Sean Quinn to come back as part of a, effectively a management buyout of, 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 of the manufacturing parts of the business. And uh, everyone thought, right, that's Sean Quinn back. Thank God that's all over, you know, but within 18 months, it had all fallen apart. Sean Quinn was back outside the business and the violence that had, had, had ceased began again. And at this time, the targets were those same former executives that Sean Quinn had handpicked to run the companies alongside him. Dara O'Reilly, Liam McCaffrey, Kevin Lunney, you know, pig's heads being left at their doorstep, graffiti yes. on the walls. Uh, around that they're being called traders and lundies and everything and then they were um uh your cars tell us, about, tell us about dublin jimmy yes who is now deceased but is is believed to have been involved in this uh and is also believed i think in your book yeah that he may have been uh, an agent for MI5. Well, certainly, certainly. So Cyril McGuinness, who got the nickname Dublin Jimmy, had uh, settled on the border after he'd been released from prison in Belgium uh, in 2013. He'd come back to the border, and uh, he was a notorious figure. And some of the former RUC officers that I spoke to said he was a man that struck fear into the heart of the RUC and the army on that border. They'd seen him as someone who was a uh, very much connected to the IRA, may have even been involved in the bombing of uh, Docklands in London in 1996 that brought about the uh, collapse of the IRA ceasefire. This was a man not to be 
not taken lightly. He had also he had turned after the IRA campaign had ended. He had turned to crime and was involved in all sorts of crime along the border. Um, but one RUC officer said that at one stage, when he was investigating uh, uh, Cyril McGuinness, he would be told by a senior officer, "Listen, you know McGuinness works for MI5. Leave him alone." And uh, yeah. he was shocked as a young officer to discover this man that he had seen effectively uh, uh, as a ruthless IRA man was effectively working for the British government. So, you know, there's 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 all of that history. And then when he returned to the border, it's alleged that Sarah McGuinness then became involved with the Quinn dispute and was involved in attacks. Now, this way you bring in a guy called Kevin Lagan. Kevin Lagan was a businessman who indeed was interested in buying some of those businesses. But over one night in February 2014, in, uh, in February 2014, yes, uh, three of his businesses, in two of them in the north and one in Cork, were all uh, um, attacked. And uh, over... 1.2 billion euro of business, a million euro was of business was destroyed in those attacks over one weekend. And Kevin Lagan, who'd received a bullet in the post, who'd received threats uh, to his home, he'd sent, he'd received a wreath on the morning of his of his wife's death, all warning him to stay away from Quinn country. Kevin Lagan walked away. That allowed then the second coming to effectively happen with Sean Quinn come back into the business. But as I say, it all turned sour and one thing led to another and then several McGuinness, it's alleged, uh, basically um, got involved in bringing three men who've since been uh, convicted in the in, in, in court in Dublin of the attack on Kevin Lunny was involved in bringing them to the border to launch the vicious assault on Kevin Lunny where he had his leg broken, he was bundled into the back of the car, he was hooded, he was attacked over a number of hours and dumped by the side of the road. And, uh, um, you know, it, it just it, it just an attack that changed everything on the border, even because up until that point, there was still definitely a latent support for Sean Quinn. Yeah. People may not have been marching in the streets, but people thought he was very, he'd been wronged and wronged by Dublin or wronged by the establishment, wronged by the media. But at that point, Sean Quinn, when I met him, realized that everything had turned, changed and changed forever. You know, nothing would be the same again because people had huge sympathy. As you talk about Father O'Reilly, huge sympathy for for um, uh, Kevin Lunny and you know everyone was trying to piece together why would this happen to Kevin Lunny why would somebody do this on on Kevin Lunny and the fact that his attackers talked to him about the business and shouted him about the business and he was going to be he was going to have to resign everyone realized it was something to do with the dispute involving Sean Quinn and the American bondholders and the people who ran the companies and uh, everything changed in that attack in September 2019 and I think just let me ask you Trevor when in your interview for your documentary, Sean Quinn and his wife actually were in this scene, but he he eventually gets very emotional and uh, tearful. But at one point, when the subject of Kevin Lunny comes up and you ask him why do you think he was attacked, he said something uh, curious to you. He, he, he said, have you ever asked Kevin Lunny why he thought he was attacked? That was one curiosity i don't want you to sp i'm not yeah. inviting you yeah, to yeah, yeah. 
it stands alone in a, in a way and that's the brilliance of, of the work that you've done it's really amazing thank you very much well, you know, I think that a lot of people have seen that as basically you know Sean Quinn blaming the, 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 the poor man who'd been attacked yeah. you know and, and, and for what happened to him and I think that the other thing is the other thing Trevor is I think it uh, was Alan Jukes who said uh, something rather stupid I thought about the blood of the people in that area, their outlaws. Uh, that was the implication of it, which didn't, which hurt, was hurtful to a lot of people as well. But he, I think it was also Dukes or somebody in the documentary who said that all the money has not been accounted for and that there could be several hundred million in all kinds of places, Latvia, Russia, wherever. So mm -hmm. still the, the game continues. Well, yeah, I mean, Sean Quinn and the family uh, uh, absolutely deny that there is a single cent anywhere in any bank account in Switzerland oh, and course. India and everywhere else. They absolutely deny that and are very angry at Alan Jukes insinuating that. They have come through the court case with IBRC. They're out the other side of it. You know, all the kids have had uh, uh, court judgments against them for almost 90, euro, uh, 90 million euro each. So, you know, if they were found to uh, be involved in, 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 in having any secret accounts, you know, it would be very, very serious for them. So, you know, they have said absolutely Alan Jukes is completely wrong. Uh, you know, they do not have any. Yeah. But, you know, there is that. Does, that, does the daughter still own the Schlieve Russell? The, the, the Schlieve Russell Hotel, Eamon, today is still in the hands of an administrator. It's never been sold. So okay. the, the administrator there is 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 looking after that, 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 that hotel. And tonight, you know, and, and right through Christmas, it will be packed to the rafters with locals and parties, weddings, and all you'd expect in an amazing hotel serving that area. So it is an amazing, successful hotel. But, Eamon, Sean Quinn could have had that hotel back. During the negotiations, during the IBRC court case, he was offered that hotel plus two pubs in return for dropping all the legal action and walking away. And Sean Quinn asked for a week to consider it, and when he went back, the deal was off the table. And Sean right. Quinn bitterly regrets the fact that they, that would have made his family, his children, multimillionaires again overnight. That hotel is valued at somewhere in the range of 30 to 40 million euro. You know, so he was, he could have been back in the game and instead he made a misjudgment. Played it, played, didn't take the deal that was offered. He should have shaken hands with the off, with the man who made the offer. He didn't take the offer and walked away. And by the time he came back, it was it, it was gone. And okay. uh, so the sleeve Russell is there today. It's still run by by the administrator on behalf of the Irish taxpayer that's trying to get the money back, the two point eight billion that Sean Quinn still owes. Um, the Irish taxpayer. Trevor, thank you very much for joining us. I just want to compliment you on a brilliant piece of work, both the documentary and uh, the book as well. It is fascinating and a great credit to you. Thank you very much for joining us on the stand and, and mind yourself. <laughs> Thanks, Damon. Wonderful to talk to you. Th thank you very much indeed. That's Trevor Burney. We're grateful to Trevor. We're grateful to all of you for listening. That's all we have time for now. We'll talk to you soon. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. 
I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Why don't more infant formula companies use organic, grass-fed whole milk instead of skim? Why don't more infant formula companies use the latest breast milk science? Why don't more infant formula companies run their own clinical trials? Why don't more infant formula companies use more of the proteins found in breast milk? Why don't more infant formula companies have their own factories instead of outsourcing their manufacturing? We wondered the same thing. So we made Byheart a better formula for formula. Learn more at byheart.com.